there's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Today is Wednesday, May 6th, 2020. On this day in 1996, the body of former CIA director William Colby was found washed up on a riverbank in southern Maryland, nine days after he disappeared. His death was ruled an accident, at least officially. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by my guest host, Molly Brandenburg. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me, Vanessa. It's always such a pleasure to host with you. Absolutely. I'm so happy you could join. ParCast fans may recognize Molly from a few of our podcasts, but we invited her on today thanks to her work hosting the ParCast original, Conspiracy Theories. Every week on Conspiracy Theories, my co-host Carter and I explore the hidden stories and rumors surrounding history's most controversial events. And it is fascinating. Molly's here today to discuss some of the historical and conspiratorial aspects of today's story, while I'll cover the narrative. Now, let's go back to Monday, May 6, 1996, early in the morning. Lieutenant Mark Sanders of the Maryland Natural Resources Police drove his car to the very end of Rock Point Road on Cobb Island. Lieutenant Sanders had been to this place many times over the previous nine days, and he believed he would be returning several times more. After all, Lieutenant Sanders was the chief officer in charge of an intensive search effort centered on this beach. Nine days prior, on April 27th, 76-year-old William Colby, former director of the CIA, had gone missing from his Cobb Island home. Police suspected that he had drowned, as his canoe had been discovered on the shore of the Wicomico River. However, Colby's body had yet to be found. Lieutenant Sanders was painfully aware of how strange this disappearance was. He had sent experienced teams of divers, trawlers, and search boats up and down the river 24 hours a day for nine days straight. Yet even with all this searching, they had only managed to find a few stranded life jackets that had nothing to do with the case at hand. Now, Sanders returned to the canoe's original location with his assistant for the dozenth time. Perhaps he'd missed something crucial. Perhaps it simply helped him feel like he was working. But as he approached the beach, his assistant noticed something odd lying upon the sand about 40 yards down shore. A man was cast upon the ground, his clothing wet and his shoes missing. The lieutenant moved towards the body, only to realize this was the man they'd been looking for all along. This was William Colby. 
But there was something strange. Colby's body was remarkably well-preserved. Normally, a corpse that had been submerged for nine days would look bloated and decrepit. Stranger still, it seemed as if Colby had only just washed up the night before. The lieutenant felt certain his search party would have found Colby much sooner if his body had simply been floating in the river. While these circumstances were both confusing and unsettling, Lieutenant Sanders felt certain the medical examiner could answer some of his more complicated questions. He called in the discovery and dismissed the search parties who celebrated. Their task was finally accomplished. Colby's body, meanwhile, was rushed to the medical examiner's office. The examiner's autopsy revealed several interesting facts. Colby's dinner from the night of his disappearance was still present in his stomach, indicating that he had died within a few hours of eating. Colby also had severely calcified arteries, putting him at high risk of both heart attack and stroke. Yet his lungs were lined with silt and river water, indicating that he had most likely died from drowning. With these bits of information, the medical examiner declared Colby's death accidental. He believed that Colby had likely suffered a severe stroke or heart attack while canoeing and fell out of his boat. As Colby dropped into the river, he would have been unable to save himself. Water would have entered his lungs and cold temperatures would have leached his life away, slowly but surely. Most people following the story were satisfied with this answer. After all, Colby was 76, and old men suffered heart attacks quite regularly. Such a thing was not beyond the pale. Yet others found this explanation entirely unsatisfying. William Colby had been the one-time director of the CIA, and he was perhaps one of the most controversial directors the agency had ever seen. It seemed possible to some that Colby's death was no accident, and instead, an undercover operation by one of his enemies within the agency itself. When we return, we'll learn how William Colby made his enemies within the intelligence community and explore the possibility of a conspiracy to end his life. Now, back to the story. On May 6, 1996, the body of former CIA director William Colby was found washed ashore in Maryland along the Wicomico River. The medical examiner believed his death was an accidental drowning caused by a heart attack or stroke. But others believed his cause of death was much more sinister. My guest host, Molly Brandenburg, is going to take over from here to discuss the history and conspiracies surrounding William Colby's death. Thanks, Vanessa. William Colby was a Princeton grad and World War II veteran who had served as a paratrooper and special operations soldier in the wartime Secret Service fighting against Nazi Germany. When he returned to the U.S., he earned a law degree from Columbia University. He worked for a law firm for a short time before joining the CIA in 1949, only two years after it was formed. Having got in on the ground floor, Colby's work as an agent was crucial to the agency's mission. 
His job was to combat the spread of communism by forming discrete ties with centrist political parties in foreign cities like Stockholm and Rome. He proved highly competent in this work, and by the 1960s, he was promoted to the head of the CIA's Far East Division, primarily working to stop the growth of the Viet Cong in Vietnam. He became most known for operating the Phoenix Program, a system of espionage and military targeting of Viet Cong leaders on a village level. During a five-year period, the Phoenix Program led to the deaths of more than 20,000 Viet Cong targets. While Colby claimed most of these people were killed in combat, anti-war activists felt it was more appropriate to label the Phoenix Program an assassination effort, and thus a war crime. But regardless of this external criticism, many within the government felt Colby had proven himself to be highly competent. So competent, in fact, that on September 4, 1973, President Richard Nixon appointed him director of the entire CIA. Colby's ascension, however, did not improve the reputation of the CIA. Within two years of his appointment, the agency became the target of journalists and Congress alike. It was accused of conducting assassination plots around the world and of unauthorized spying on American citizens on U.S. soil. When Colby was called before Congress to testify in the matter, he was shockingly forthcoming. He openly admitted that the CIA was conducting many operations that he felt were immoral and evil, including assassinations, wiretappings, and the testing of LSD on some soldiers without their knowledge. Wishing to see an end to these programs and to make the CIA much more transparent and accountable to the public, Colby provided Congress with a series of files that have since been dubbed the Family Jewels, a collection of the most controversial and insidious operations the CIA had conducted during its existence. Colby's candor shocked the nation and made him one of the most hated men in politics. Those on the political left criticized him for many of the operations the CIA had conducted under his purview, while those on the political right felt he had betrayed national secrets by making this information public. He also made many enemies within the intelligence community. They were appalled that he had aired their dirty laundry. Thanks to this controversy, Colby was removed from his post in January of 1976. He wrote several books about the experience and went on to live a peaceful life for another 20 years. However, many in the intelligence community never forgave him for revealing their secrets, and some believe those people were determined to make him pay. When Colby's body was discovered on May 6, 1996, Zeline Grant, a former intelligence operative who had worked with Colby in Vietnam, was convinced that his old friend had been killed by the CIA. He pointed to several odd details that made him suspect foul play. First, Colby had left his final dinner unfinished and many of his belongings on the table. Second, Colby was last seen just before sundown at 7.30 p.m. If Colby had gone kayaking, he would have had to have left around 8 p.m., well after dark. 
in waters that were known to be choppy at that time. Zeline knew Colby and believed he was far too smart to put himself in such danger. There were several other suspicious details, but sadly, none of them constituted proof of foul play. To this day, it's impossible to say whether Colby's death was accident or assassination. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again, Molly, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You can find my podcast, Conspiracy Theories, on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like to hear a bit more about William Colby, he came up during our Conspiracy Theories episodes on reverse engineering. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Giles Hovseth, with writing assistance by Nora Battelle. I'm Vanessa Richardson. 